All right, everybody, we are back with part two of the Dr. Williams interview. Thank you all so much for tuning in and listening to this conversation. It's one of the best I've ever had, and it's incredibly insightful. We're talking about topics that I care deeply about, and I'm incredibly blessed to be able to have these conversations with someone who understands the issues and articulates their thoughts on them in a way that is so relatable and understanding. So thank you so much, Dr. Williams. Thank you to everyone who tunes in. You know, if you like the podcast, please like, comment, and subscribe. Tell your friends about it. Help me kind of get this out. But regardless of all that, I'm so excited. Let's get right back into it. This is part two of the Dr. Williams interview. And thank you all so much for tuning back in to another week of living with Will. the where you were at was that the pact that had been made between the wealthy white America and poor white America was this like little bit of power like fake power over non-white yeah, so, like, did you did you hear that small town America yes was the plantation for white folks yes that was like exactly where we got cut off and that's kind of where um what I'm glad about with this with this interview as well is that's unfortunately the case today is that like the these populations of white people are are being you know brainwashed and uh, miseducated and illusioned into first of all hating other people like right. what like the LGBTQ community um the Muslim community black community Latino Latina community Asian communities they're being tricked into which which first of all is incredibly lonely I'm sure because all those communities are amazing um, yeah. and you're just and you're worsening your life by not including them in your life and then also they're tricking them into you know um, remaining in, in poverty and and they're tricking them into being kind of okay with and that's kind of why I think that they brought football back is they were like, we have to make sure these people don't riot and revolt. And I think if, if they didn't have football and there's COVID and you have no job, I think people, I think that would have set some of these Trumpsters, some of these Trump heads off if they didn't have football too. Right. Wow. Yeah. You know, I swear. No doubt. No doubt. Cause, cause, cause you're right. I mean, that sport more than any other sport on the planet, I think activates men right so that that's mm-hmm. the, that's the closest thing to legalized warfare yeah that you have yeah right mm-hmm. right because i mean you're running full speed <laughs> taking somebody out yeah right that is the most fun shit in the universe dude yeah oh yeah when well, and you can speak from experience because you played football yeah oh my god 
Yes, no, no question. Just hands down, that is just exhilarating. Yeah. Well, and this is the thing, right? Is and it goes to that kind of the other that you were speaking on. Um, look at how people are with their teams, and if and if you, you know. <laughs> Like if you're a, if you're a Green Bay fan or you're a Bears fan, you know how yep. you feel about the other team, right? right. And it's hatred. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is if you're a DC fan or if you're a Cowboys fan, <laughs> right. right? Oh yeah, no question, no question. Oh yeah, we should definitely have bring that up too, because I think because that that brings the humor into it. Thank you so much. I go, no, of course, and that and I, what I I really appreciate with this interview too is you know we're we're both like that, which is you know you have to have the important and the serious conversation because it has to be had. But at the end of the day, it's also as important, maybe not as important, but it is it is important to laugh because you got to enjoy the process. You know, like becoming aware of of societal issues is daunting but it's 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 important and you can still enjoy your life knowing that the world is fucked up <laughs> yeah you yeah. just gotta have work for it i don't want to call it the beauty of the moment because the moment is really hysterical and chaotic but i do think that it is kind of the saving grace of it is that people are now seeing the absurdity of the system because and i spoke about this in a past episode you know we have been taught to believe in our institutions, believe in our government, and believe in the, the the system and society we've set up. And now if you, let's say you weren't born white like me, if you weren't born a white man, you are seen through life experience that this system is flawed, right? Through things like racism or sexism or classism or homophobia, anti-Semitism. If you're de- dealing with system of oppression, you see very quickly the the lies and the man behind the mirror, you know? But if you're a white man, you've been delusioned and you've been tricked and you've been taught this history of look how great white men are, you know, like, wow. But then you're not shown the genocide and the and the, you know, monstrosity that this history has behind it, too. Right. And the thing is, what they're really not taught. And one of the things that just is it's kind of cracking me up about Trump Mm -hmm. is that he's trying his hardest to not allow people to learn what's happening mm-hmm. right but he is just not a very bright man like anything that goes into his brain comes out of his mouth yeah and so he's not as tricky as the old racist people uh-huh. or the people who used racism i'll just say right were right mm-hmm. so there's there's no hiding when you're basically, you know, <laughs> dealing with Trump. Right, right, right. yes, he, exactly. He makes it so clear, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, you know, and, and so the, the, the quote that I, was, that I was trying to remember, I just found it. It's Lyndon B. Johnson, and he basically says that, um, and also, let me just tell you quickly who Lyndon B. Johnson was. So Lyndon B. Johnson, right, grew up in the South, and understood the politics of racism, right? Because mm-hmm. he understood it from the inside, right? He's a politician, mm-hmm. and he sees that basically racism can be used as a ploy to divide and conquer, mm-hmm. right? And so here's this quote. If you can convince the lowest white man that he's better than the best colored man, he won't notice you're picking his pocket. Hell, 
give him somebody to look down on, and he'll empty his pockets for you. Mm-hmm. That's Lyndon B. Johnson, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's basically what Trump is doing, yep. right? Like, like every time he does something that is basically absolutely against the the livelihood, right, mm-hmm. of poor and working class. And I shouldn't just say poor, right, because it's working class white men. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest, you know, really, the, mm-hmm. the biggest pot of votes mm-hmm. that Trump is trying to get with mm-hmm. these political ploys, right? Mm-hmm. Because he needs working white men to not look at him as part of the wealthy who don't care whether he has a job or not. Right. He has to trick them and say to them, look, I'm going to bring the white man's plantations back, which is the factories, right? Mm-hmm. The working class white man's plantations were the factories that we made a deal to provide you all with after the Civil War, right? These, you know, Reaganites who just went for the money and, you know, loosened up the taxes and made it so that, you know, you know, big you know, worldwide conglomerates could, you know, move the factories anywhere and have tax write-offs, you know, that's messed up, you know. Um, I'm not going to say Reagan did that, but I'm going to say the Democrats did that because the Democrats are bad, right? So right. Biden with these deals, right? Mm-hmm. And he basically just uses trickery, right? right. People don't spend the time to go and, and look back and see, Right. And what's really amazing me right now, so I was born in 1961, all right? Mm-hmm. And part of the reason that I always found that interesting is that's exactly 100 years after the start of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And when you study the antebellum South, like I, in this process, right, looking up the you know history of racism in America, mm-hmm. there's a book called Masterless men masterless men mm-hmm. poor whites and slavery in the antebellum south right so antebellum means you know prior to the civil war right mm-hmm. so leading up to the civil war mm-hmm. and some of the things that were happening then are happening now and and even worse right so basically people now don't really study the history but Working class white men in the antebellum South were not happy with the wealthy slave owners because slaves cost, are you ready for this? So a black slave cost $1,200 back then, right? A top black slave that, you know, was healthy and could do, you know, the work of the field, right? That comes out to $36,000 right now. And that's one of them, right, in today's money. So how many working class white people right now could pay $36,000, have to pay it off in one year, because that's all the banks would give you? And wealthy had hundreds of them. And what happened was they started teaching the slaves to do the professional work like wood carving, right? Like, you know, wagon building, right? Like, you know, um, 
you know, doing all the different professional, you know, um, skill sets that working class white men would do. So they didn't have to hire working class white men. They could have the slaves do it. So that basically disrupted the, you know, way that working class white men made a living. So that was taking money straight out of their mouths, and they were not happy about it. Mm -hmm. They did not want to fight in the Civil War because they're like, why are we defending slavery when slavery is taking food out of our mouths? Right. White men had work, uh, wealthy white men made, are you ready for this? Like Bilbo bars, you know, um, um, goons that he's like, you know, putting together and, you know, making them basically secret police mm -hmm. to go around and, you know, kind of disrupt the um, Antifa. And I really wish they would just call Antifa um, anti um <laughs> so I had, a, I had a, um, a joke right so so antifa is anti-fascism right? right but americans don't really know um i was just gonna say it how i'm thinking it right we are not the most educated people in the world yeah. right and so one of the things that i say as a child psychiatrist is if i can break down a concept a complex medical concept into something that an eight-year-old can understand, sometimes the parents can understand it too. <laughs> right? That's a great point, so, though. Right, so if they called Antifa anti-dictator, yeah. half of working-class white people would join it. Would yeah. be like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. We yeah. don't, I don't want a dictator either. Yeah. Right, but they call it Antifa, and they don't even know what the Antifa part is. Right, they don't even know what fascism is. They weren't, right. they weren't taught about fascism. So they're just, you know, too yeah. much, right? Yeah. So I'm like, we need to really simplify this, right? No, so yeah, totally. Anti-dictator. Mm -hmm. Okay, now they're cool with it because yep. we know now that anti-dictators aren't coming after white women in the suburbs. Yeah. They're coming after Trump. Yeah, exactly. If we called, so, if we called alt-right neo-Nazis, people might understand that the alt-right is bad and not just like, like the the wording, the wordage is so yes. important. Yes, yes, yes. All right, so let me go back to the thing. Right, so so basically, antebellum South. Yeah. Working class white men did not want to fight the North or anybody mm -hmm. to protect slavery. Mm -hmm. They wanted to. They they were like, look, this is hurting us. Right. Wealthy white men made goon squads, right? Basically, you know, to to absolutely shut down any working class white person that was spreading that message. Mm -hmm. You could not say we don't want to fight in the Civil War to, you know, um, protect slavery because slavery is hurting me. You couldn't say that. If you said that, you got arrested, and you ready for this? You got lynched. They were lynching white working class men for saying we don't want to go to war to protect slavery. Mm -hmm. That is not something I have ever heard in any history class of mine. Ever. 
me neither. I went to Shaker Heights school system that was one of the best in the country at that time. Five of us went to Princeton. I went to Princeton undergrad, uh, went to Case Western Reserve Medical School, Cleveland Clinic internship, Yale for my adult psychiatry, the business school and child psychiatry. I've never heard this. The the erasure of of true American history and history is is staggering. I didn't hear the names Ella Baker or Fannie Lou Hamer until I was in college. I didn't hear about the women's liberation movement and, and feminism. I didn't, you know, um, and I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this, but you know, like the whole FBI, like Cointel movement, Cointel Pro kind of dismantling of the Black Panthers and everything. Um, the people who exposed what was happening, like Cointel Pro actively like murdering black activists, that was a group of white activists in, who broke into an FBI headquarters in Pennsylvania. And then, and then they released the paperwork. But wow. you don't hear about them. It's 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 a which is a great point though. Like the divide and conquer technique by erasing black women leaders during the civil rights movement by erasing white activists, white allies. It it creates the it it's it just adds to the divide and conquer because then it makes it, which I also have a problem with that these movements have to only be. They try to make it like this has to be black people only in the streets. It's like, no, like we all need to be backing up and promoting black people and be like, this is wrong. Like racism is wrong. <laughs> right. But then the thing is, it's not even just promoting black people. Like, right. And, and I mean this very seriously as a black person. Mm -hmm. Right. To me, as a black American, it doesn't matter how you got to America. Mm -hmm. America represents every peoples right every group of people on the planet agreed right and our the, the and let me just say this too maybe this is a little you know american first kind of thing right but to me the best of the world's you know mm -hmm. peoples came to america mm -hmm. right and so you know and sometimes the worst too like you know like clearly you know, the, the most evil yeah. also, right? Yeah. People have, you know, emptied their jails out to, you know, fill up America too, right? Yeah. So it's, so the best of the good and the best of the bad yeah. are in America. No, it's right? true. It's very true. Right. So we are not just one people, right? Yeah. We are, we are the world. Like Michael mm -hmm. Jackson's, you know, song, right? We are the world. Yeah. Here. Mm -hmm. Right. And, People are looking at us as the best democracy on the planet. Mm -hmm. And we have a dictator, a wannabe dictator, trying to take it over. It's true. Right? And if we just study our history, because basically what they did back then, after the Civil War, is to me what they're trying to do now. They, yeah, stacked, the, they stacked the courts and they change the laws. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, um, as I've been studying too, so there was a, a time when my my hero, right, um, and and you know, clearly, you know, my my children have um, teased me for for years, right? Because Frederick Douglass is just kind of my hero, mm. right? So I've gone to the Frederick Douglass home and the museum and all that, right? He's a great hero to have. 
because yeah, <laughs> he's a brilliant guy. Yeah. He was the advisor to multiple, you know, presidents, mm-hmm. right? And he's the story of, you know, a slave that basically, you know, convinced his master's people to educate him, fought his way out, right, and became a worldwide figure. Right? Yeah. It's an awesome guy, mm-hmm. right? But if he had made one decision a little different, the world might be a different place because America would be a different place. Mm. And that decision was he was working with Susan B. Anthony and, you know, and, you know, the other, you know, um, feminists who were trying to get the vote. Mm -hmm. Right. So they were trying to get the vote for blacks and for women. Yeah. And Congress did something that I've later found that they did with a whole bunch of other groups. Right. They basically do the divide and conquer thing. Yeah. So they tell Frederick Douglass, "Okay, we're going to give black men the vote, but we're not going to give white women the vote. Mm -hmm. Um, And he has to make a decision. Right. He's like, "Okay, do I accept that or do I say no? Right. And, And, you know, basically piss off black men. Right. And and wait till we all can go over together, right? He made the choice that he said, look, until white women are being lynched in the streets, right? You know, it's not the same. And trust us, even if we get the vote, we're going to vote for you. We're not going to give up. We're going to continue to fight, right? Mm -hmm. But what he doesn't realize again is that whole percentage thing, right? Right. Like black people were like 10% of the population, Mm -hmm. right? And then you and put so that in half. What that yeah. did, women have always been 50% of the right. population. Yep. Right? So if he had to say, no, we're not going over till yep. we all go over together. Yep. Or that was, and you know, fast forward to the civil rights movement. They made the same mistake. They didn't put uh, the the women leaders like Ella Baker and Fannie Lou Hamer, Rosa Parks, they weren't put in the forefront as they should have been. They were right. they were kind of kept behind and and Malcolm X kind of you know famously not known as the more feminist of the two but kind of as their as their careers shown he was kind of more of a feminist than even uh, MLK was because he said it after his trip to Mecca he said you judge a country by the way they treat their women yeah and look wow. you know and look at the and and to add to his point fast forward look at the countries that are doing the best with the Corona pandemic all led by women. Yes, you know? women, that's hilarious. It's the truth, you know, and that's that's the real, and I think this is the beautiful part of this interview is, and it's a point that I try to make all the time is, and that was also like, I like that we both have a form of ADD, you with ADHD, me with the ADD, because our brains can kind of work together, because I'm not, I'm more disorganized, I can't stick on one clear path, but to your point, you know, like, it is about everyone needs to be, and I said, I had an interview with an Australian white man who said, he didn't feel comfortable having a conversation with me about racism in America because he was an outsider. And I said it to him, I was like, we all need to be having this conversation because it's all of our problem. Just same with climate crisis. If we're not all on board to fix the climate, we're all fucked. Like, and that's it. If we don't all come together and deal with classism and deal with racism, like we are going to fail as humanity. Like it's not going to work. As, as, as much as these people have come up on us and these, these white elites have kind of benefited from all of us fighting each other, it, there's, we're running out of time, you know? Yeah. So how I wanted to end that um, discussion about um, Frederick Douglass. Okay. Right? 
if Frederick Douglass had of you know really you know been able to look at not just black men but the vote right mm-hmm. women are half of the voting or more than half of the voting populace right yeah if he had waited for the women then they would not have been able to do the Jim Crow laws mm. that basically took all the rights away from us right. after the Civil War, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Because they used the power of the vote. You know, even if even if all black men were able to vote, we were like 5% of the population, right? Yeah. If all, all black people were 10%, yeah. then black men were only 5%. Yeah. Well, and and even more, probably even lower because of things like mass incarceration. Incarcerating one third of that's five percent. Right, right. So, so I'm just saying, if yeah. you had made the decision to do that, so yeah. we have to think about the vote. Yeah, right? yeah. And so, um, if he had done that, they would not have been able to stack the courts. Yeah, pass all these laws yeah. that basically took all the rights you know, away from black people for generations after that. Right, yeah. mm-hmm. but because it was a hundred and now sixty years ago, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, fifty-nine, going to be sixty in a couple months, right? I look at what they're doing now. They're doing the same thing mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. You know, and Mitch McConnell, right? I call him Rich, and then Mitch, but put you know asterisks around the M. Yeah, Rich, Mitch McConnell is like the you know um in what is it in 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 star wars he's like the um the the sith lord oh yeah he is the sith lord he really is politics he really is so he's he's stacking the court system with people who are basically gonna make totally anti-democratic decisions Mm -hmm. right and I just heard one, like, you know, they had one male drop box per county in Texas, right? Yeah. Something crazy like that. And a, and a real judge overruled it, said that's ridiculous, right? We have, you know, counties with a million people in it. You can't, you know, or 780,000 people in it. You can't just have one drop box. Yeah. Then uh, a court that had been, you know, packed by, you know, Trumpites, right? Basically, through Mitch McConnell, right? Overruled him, mm. and so it's like stuff like that that we don't really think about, and it's just so devastatingly bad for our democracy. Yeah, and that that's why I'm looking at this racism thing, and it's like they could not get away with that if it wasn't for racism. If they didn't have working class white people white folks right voting against their own best interest yep they couldn't get away with that yep it's true it's true and and it's like you know and everyone's looking at the um the the supreme court justices you know and worrying about um you know for example the you know right for an abortion yeah Mm -hmm. which is absolutely you know no question about it that, that's that's very arguable, right? Both mm-hmm. sides. Yeah, they're, they're worried about the you know the um, the um, you know ACA, right? No question about it. All of us need health care. Right? Yes, but what they're also not looking at is like those people are corporatists, mm-hmm. right? 
So they're going to, they haven't done it yet, but when the rulings start coming down, when they're like, you know, voting against, you know, collective bargaining, then the wealthy are going to be totally in control, mm-hmm. right? Because basically that's what we had to fight through already once in this country, right? That's the only way that working class people have any power. Mm. And that's what scares me the most is that they're using racism to basically trick the working class white population into thinking they're on the same team as wealthy whites. Completely. And and I, and I shouldn't even say whites. Wealthy people, right? Because yeah. there's some greedy, wealthy black folks in this universe, too. And, like, greedy, wealthy, everybody. Just, you know, there's, there's no racial monopoly on greed. Right. Now, the evils right. of man transcend race, for, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, right. So it's just the greedy wealthy versus the benevolent wealthy. Right. That's really that's really because not everybody that's wealthy is greedy and completely. Wrong, right. Mm-hmm. There are benevolent and wonderful wealthy. Mm-hmm. Right. I completely agree. It's just a matter of of us all. You know, people need to be working towards the betterment of of people. I I, I love wealthy people if if they care about other people. I I said this the other day actually. I was like. I don't, yeah. as I grow older, I care less. And, when I was a kid, I cared about what people thought about me. It was like, so, it's so important. As I get older, I don't give a, I don't give a shit what you think of me. Does your moral compass align with mine? Do you, do you care about other people? Do you want to see an end to racism and sexism and homophobia and all forms of oppression? Okay, cool. All right, bet. We can hang out. If you don't, if you don't, then just stay as far away from me as humanly possible. I don't want you to die. I don't want anything bad to happen to you, but... Don't hurt anyone and just go live your life somewhere else. Like, I, I, I don't want to deal with those people. But I do have a question for you. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I'm a psychiatrist, so I want to cure everybody. Well, that was that's my question for you, right? So I've been, being that I am a white heterosexual man in America, I feel that it is an obligation for me to try and reach some of these white people that I'm like, yo, like, for some reason, I'm like, maybe you'll listen to me. Because you're not listening to everyone else, like, pleading. Maybe you'll listen to another white person. So I've been trying to reach some of these people. And it's very yeah. difficult for what, for, you know, obviously, I mean, I, I should have known originally. But, like, in school, you know, I, I would lose friends over just trying to make white people just be a little more careful with their words. Or just, like, more careful with their thoughts. You know, like, and for whatever reason, they don't want to hear it from me. But, I, I, you know, as a, as a mental health professional, you know, with people like Trump, with this with these narcissists and, you know, the, the superiority complexes, all these, all these things that people have going on, how or is it possible to reach them or cure them, like you said? Because sometimes I, I think it is, and sometimes I'm like, I don't think it's possible. <laughs> I'm losing faith in these people. I just don't know. But what do you think as a, as a healthcare professional? All right, so I am a healthcare professional. And I will have to also admit that I'm an optimist, mm. right? Because I believe in the goodness of people. If you can really reach them, and this might not sound like, um, I'm just going to say it like I'm thinking it, right? Please. So, so, so basically, I, I'm an optimist. Mm-hmm. I think that people are really good, you know, you know, deep down. But I think that also people... We're animals, okay? Mm-hmm. We are animals. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that, you know, we seek pleasure 
and we avoid pain. Mm. So I'll never forget, I was, at, I was at Yale, right? And I'm in a class, right? So now I'm like one of like five fellows in mm-hmm. child psychiatry, right? Mm-hmm. And um, of course, only black male, right? And I was the only African-American male at Yale's business school also, right? This was like 96, not like 56. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, like, and that's part of, I guess, the reason I really liked <laughs> I really like uh, my boy, too, because I felt like I was representing all black people mm. whenever I spoke, right? So me and Frederick Douglass, right? That's kind of how I fell in love with him, too. Mm-hmm. So what I said was, because black people spank their kids. Like, there's no question about it. If, if you're in a um, black family in America, you were probably got spanked. Now, um, a lot of people say that came from slavery days, right? Because, you know, you could not, you know, you, you, we don't have the freedom to, to represent our anger and, you know, as many open and, you know, expressive venues, right, as our non-white, as our non-black brethren, mm-hmm. right? So I said to my professor, who had been trained, literally trained, by Anna Freud, Sigmund Freud's daughter. Wow. Right. So she did a lot of her work at the Yale um, Child and Adolescent Psychiatry um, program there. Right. And this professor was basically, you know, basically saying that, you know, the only way to teach kids is, you know, by this reward and punishment, da 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 da. So I raised my hand, I asked a question, I said, so is there ever any reason to use corporal punishment, right? Uh-huh. And, and she literally, like, like grabbed, like, her, her blouse in the front, like, you know, clutched the pearls, right? Like, like, who let this man in here, right? And she goes, we are not animals, right? So now, remember, my father was a... <laughs> was a um, psychologist mm-hmm. right so i raise my hand i go um excuse me you know, i'm sorry but you know human beings we are actually animals then i put my hand down right <laughs> and some of my classmates like look kind of cut their eyes look to be like all right kevin stop it right mm-hmm. and so she goes you know what i mean you know we don't behave like animals right mm-hmm. so i raise my hand up again right i'm like okay <laughs> um you know i was psychology major at princeton and, you know, animal studies are basically what we have used to, you know, replicate and anticipate and, you know, study human behavior, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, we are animals, we seek pleasure, avoid pain. You know, we use animal studies to help us think about how humans act. Right. Put my hand back down. And so now the professors that were in the class on the outside look at me like, ooh, right? And... I say all that to say, right, that basically, if you can reach people on an animalistic level, right, like, look, this guy Trump is not really giving you pleasure. He is giving you the opioid of politics, Mm. racial good feelings that make you not look at your 
status. If Trump brought a factory back to your neighborhood, vote for him. Go for it. I have. He's done what he said he would do for you. If his little part of the wall that he's built has stopped people from coming in and taking your jobs, right? Because that's where that's what, how they're feeling about it. Mm-hmm. And and on that, let me just say this because I know I'm going to have a lot of um, you know um, Latino people upset at me for saying this, right? But clearly, um, the way that America works is America needs cheap labor, right? Mm-hmm. White slaves were the first cheap labor. Mm-hmm. Black slaves were the next set of cheap labor. Mm-hmm. And Chinese mm-hmm. were the yep. next set of cheap labor, exactly. right? Because that's how we built the railroads and all that out yep. of the West, right? Mm-hmm. And now it's, you know, um, Latinos' yeah. time mm-hmm. to be the cheap labor, right? So Trump is not really going to build a wall, and the Sith Lord wouldn't let him do it, Mitch McConnell, when they had the House, the Senate, and the White House for his first two years. If they really were going to do that, they could have did it then. And it would have been cheaper than the money they're putting out already for the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. But they don't want that, because this type of, you know, vulture capitalism needs cheap labor right Mm. and so for working class lower class lower skilled white people to be upset about cheap labor coming in look that's real for them that is absolutely affecting their bottom line like i one of the places i work is um at a clinic in um california maryland and you know we have um people within 15, 20 miles of the White House that are living in trailer parks with no electricity and no running water. Right. And that's real, Mm -hmm. right? And, um, you know, they are hungry, right? They are losing jobs. They are losing cars. They are losing houses. They are losing their trailers, Mm right? Right. That is real. And mm-hmm. this one, I'll never forget. This one was like, look, you know, my 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 boyfriend, you know, he doesn't he doesn't, you know, he's he's angry all the time, right? But at least he doesn't hit me like my other one did. And he's just having a hard time because he can't get the construction jobs that he used to because they're giving them to um the the Latino mm-hmm. workers, mm-hmm. right? And and they are. That's true, right? Like you, you could definitely look at you know white businessmen who are doing construction, and like Trump, right? When he hires people to build his places, he has the cheapest labor possible right. building building the place, right? Yeah. And it's not like they're not good. I mean, they're you know they're great laborers. Yeah, but you don't have to pay for all the you know taxes and stuff that you have to pay for Americans mm-hmm. and they're, they'll work for less because they're used to making less until they get to the second generation, third generation, right? Just mm-hmm. like any other American, mm-hmm. right? Like there's no difference, right? That's, that's what the Italians did because they weren't considered white at the beginning. Right. That's what the Irish did. They were one of the last ones to be considered white. Right. And there's another book that I, that I read that was just amazing about that. 
and it was basically the um, the the wage the wages of whiteness mm. the wages of whiteness David Rodiger right race and the making of America's working class mm. it's a very dense book so it's not a sounds like it would be to read yeah but it basically tells you how each of the ethnic groups, major ethnic groups, worked their way into the working class, mm-hmm. right? And just like the whole um, Frederick Douglass with the women thing, the blacks and the Irish were the last in the ghettos, right? Mm-hmm. But the Jews were in the ghettos before, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's why, like, they, they had, um, you know, great basketball players were in the Jewish community when the Jews were in the ghettos, mm-hmm. Right? The Italians were in the ghetto, right? Mm-hmm. The Germans, oh my God. When you go back to like, you know, when, when there were 26 racial groups right. in America. Right, Are you ready for this? This one just like floored me, right? Benjamin Franklin spoke about Germans like Donald Trump was speaking about Mexicans. Yeah, yeah, well, that's like, like when there was the... never be able to be incorporated into our government. Yeah, right? like Martin and Van Buren. Trump is a German. Yeah, one, I think it was our third president. I think his name was Martin Van Buren. Yeah. I think his name was something like that. But yeah, he was the child of German immigrants. And it was during a time of like German racism in America. Or like, well, I guess it's not racism, but it's like, but it, you know, prejudice. No, it's racism. Yeah. They, remember, that was a different race. Germany... German, Germania, or German, right. that was a race. Yeah, you're right. You know, it's interesting, when I was in school, I'll never forget this, I heard the name Martin Van Buren when I was in high school, and I was like, well, that doesn't sound very American. And my teacher, which is obviously like, you know, I'm clearly a, a white man raised in an American society when that's my first thought is that's not an American sounding name. But my teacher was like, Will, what is what is a name like Barack Obama? Like, these are American names. We have different names in this country because this was during the Obama president presidency. And I was like, damn, you're right. Like, what the fuck's wrong with me? Like, <laughs> what, an American name is going to be whatever it, whatever the fuck it's supposed to sound like. We're all Americans. And, but it was, a, it was a great learning experience. I'm lucky I had a teacher who called me out and was like, the fuck? <laughs> but I wish other people had that, you know, it's important that, you know, any name is a, can be an American name if they're an American. Like any, and we also, I, I'm kind of done with borders and stuff, to be honest. Like, I wish that we would just all be, understand that we're all humans, but... I feel like I'm cutting off a point of yours, so let me end this side tangent. Yeah, no, 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 that was good. That was excellent, seriously. And and, and let's not forget that Trump, right, T-R-U-M-P, yeah. was T-R-U-M-P-F. Yeah, it was Trump, right? Father came. Trump, yeah. right? And he took the F off, right, because it sounded more American, just yeah. like what you just said. Right. No, and right. I, I'm lucky I had a teacher who, call, who you know, held me accountable and was like, think about what you're saying. Because I, I really didn't understand, like, the, the nationalism that I was exuding through, through my rhetoric, you know, as a child. And I think that's the importance of us teaching things like ethnic studies or teaching the true history of our country young. Because if right. I had learned those things I learned in college at a younger date and my classmates had learned them, oh, man. Yeah. They wouldn't no, be dude, waking up and, now. And it's true. And the thing is... We just have to remember that we're all in this together. Right. right? Yep. And so, and to me, we shouldn't be demonizing poor whites because they want to build a wall. 
right? Mm -hmm. Because basically, and my joke is on this, right? Look, if there were psychiatrists streaming over the wall that would they would basically make my rate go down and I would be unemployed, I would be like, build a wall too. Okay? The image like of just were, a, a right, sea of psychiatrists coming over a wall. Coming over and taking out rich, wealthy families' jobs, right? Yeah. They'd be building the wall too. Yeah. So, I mean, we're animals. Going back to my thing, look, so the way that we appeal to people is mm -hmm. we have to say to them, look, I see you as a human animal, right? Mm -hmm. you, need a, you need a safe place to live. Mm -hmm. You need a safe food source. You need a safe water source, right? And that's the thing, too. Like, you know, Trump is like, you know, making the economy go, right? Right. But he's basically doing it by taking off all the constraints. Yeah. And people are like, yeah, let's let's lose the constraints. I'm like, okay, so here's my joke on that, right? Mm -hmm. So look, I like to drive fast, okay? <laughs> so if you, because I'm always late, right? Because I have ADHD, I'm late like, to everything, right? As you know. <laughs> so I'm like, look, if they took off all of the speed limit signs off every highway and road in America. Yeah. People would get places faster. The the economy would speed up. Yeah. Until the crashes start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Because not everybody's moving at the same speed. Right. Yeah. So I'm blessed to have my 2010 Mercedes S550. Right. <laughs> that rolls really comfortably yeah. at 125. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's car is rolling at 125. <laughs> right. Right. So if I'm coming up on somebody doing 55 and I'm doing 125, that is not a good scenario. No. <laughs> right. And let me just say, I need that speed limit to stop me. Yeah. From doing 125. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he's basically taking off all the limits that make society work well together. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That's how he's sped up the economy. Mm. Right. But but, you know, by taking off all these things, like like one of the things I wish we could do. Right. Like he loosened up, you know, um, EPA. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. Standards. Right. Yeah. So working class white folks in, you know, West Virginia. Right. Mississippi, Alabama, who love to fish and get on their boats and do all that. Right. Like, you know, we we drove across. You know, coming back from Florida this last weekend, I right, drove 14 and a half hours getting to Florida, right? And we passed this creek. I want to say it's like Gibson Creek or Gibson something, right? And the stench coming from it was horrible. Right? I was like, wow, what is that, right? Mm -hmm. And then I noticed we were over on top of a waterway, right? Mm. And I'm like, oh, man, I hope that is not what i think it is right mm -hmm. now and i still hope it's not like that i hope that maybe there was some you know group of something that died under the water right and that was smelling bad right but i know for sure that the water quality in a lot of the creeks and streams and rivers small rivers right that people fish and love to get on right are worse now because they're being polluted by the increase in production of the factories that are, you know, basically adding to the increased economy, yeah. right, that Trump's touting. And 
if you just pulled up a big, you know, so my vision is you pull up a big tanker truck, you know, empty tanker truck and fill it up with the water from the creeks from, you know, just take 10 of them from each state. Right. Yeah. And then drive to Mar-a-Lago and put your, you know, <laughs> your your um, hose to empty the tank into the water outside of Mar-a-Lago and ask Trump if we can do that. Yeah. He's going to be like, hell, hell no. Yeah. Right, because he doesn't want that in his Mar-a-Lago water. Right. Hi, everybody. I'm going to conclude part two there. This conversation is so fucking good that I had to break it up into three parts. So tune back in. It'll be coming in. You can check my social medias or whatever if you are listening to this as it drops to find out when the next one is. Check me out on social medias at Living With Will. And successes and blessings to everyone who listened to this. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Catch part three or any interview at Living With Will on Apple and Spotify. And as always, y'all, have a great rest of your week in the meantime. Thank you so much for listening.